0: Today, we're going to deal with a different set of principles that still apply to the same purpose. And we find that in Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. If you could just repeat out to me say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. I'm going to read a little bit today. When you got it, say, I got it. Amen. Let's get to it. The Word of God simply says in Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air... Have nets, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my Father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Verse 23 When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm. On the sea. So that the boat was being covered. With the waves. But Jesus himself. Was asleep. And they came to him. And woke him saying. Save us Lord. We are. Perishing. He said to them. Why are you afraid. You men. Of little faith. Then he got up and rebuke the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? For a moment today, if we lift up this text, I simply want to talk to you about a topic, Are You Set. That's the question of the day. Are you set? You may be seated in this place. We know what it means to be ready. When God calls you, you have to have that ear to hear him when he calls. You have to have a heart that is willing to do what he's asking you to do. We know exactly what it means to be ready. The challenge today is to understand and define what it means to be set, to come to a reality of what does it mean to be set. I wasn't a track runner. Do we have a track star? Anybody ran track in here? Oh, Sister Deborah, you working in the sound booth. Uh, I'm gonna use Ben. Ben Ben looks like he's flexible still. He's not I'm not as flexible. Come here, Ben. Let me, let me utilize you for a moment, man. You're going to be my prop today. You're going to be my, my illustration today. Ben is multi-talented. He doesn't only play the drums. He runs track. Ben, do you know what this is? No. You don't know what this is? I don't know. I've never seen that. You've never seen this before. In all of your years on this earth, you've never seen this before. This would make sense to somebody who ran track. Look at Minister Devil. She back, she's ready. She ready. She let me show you something. She's about to sprint. Let me show you something. This will make sense to somebody who ran track. Ben, these are blocks. Okay. These are blocks. And, and for a track runner, this is the starting point of your race. This is where it all begins. This is where it all takes place. Whenever you were running, see, back in the day, we run on the street, we race somebody, it was just simple. Ready, set, go, right? That, that was it. Track is a little different, Ben. They don't actually say ready. When you get to the line, it's already a position of understanding that you're ready. That's when Minister Deborah will be back there kicking her legs, <laughs> making sure everything is right. She gets into a position, makes sure everything is good. And, and then she gets into a position. Do you know the position that she gets into? Is it Like on all fours? Basically, yeah. So to, so to get down, Ben, you were supposed to be doing this, not me. And so basically you get down and, and you get ready and you shake yourself out. And then you have a line there. And the purpose of this line is for you to position yourself. When everybody hits that line, Ben, what happens is everybody is ready. Everybody is in a position that's ready. They know that they're here. Their purpose is to run the race. They have a responsibility. They have something to do. Uh, now, I'm a little bigger than you, Ben, so I'm going to let you do the next part. I want you to get into the ready position like I just did. You got to kick your legs. Everybody say, Ben, kick your no, no, Ben, you got to do the whole thing. This is what them track players do. You got to stretch. All right, so Ben's getting ready. Ben's getting ready. All right, Ben. Yeah, Ben's ready. And so he's imagining that this is the line. I want you to get into your ready position. So you're basically down on your... Yeah, yeah that's it, Ben. Now, put your hands up just a little bit. That, there you go, Ben. You're locked into the line. Now you have a responsibility to get into the set position. Now the set position is a little more difficult, Ben. I'm going to help you with the set position. we are going to make sure this doesn't move. With the set position, you not only have to be down, but you have to lift up. You got to get ready. There you go. Now, the issue with this, Ben, is you have to stay in that position. See, you're not trained, Ben. You're not ready for this. You're not ready. You are supposed to stay in that position until they say go or until they fire the pistol. You understand what I'm saying? Ben, I've used you enough. I'm going to let you grab a seat. That's the whole position of a track player. Now, I want to teach you something. I believe this same principle can apply to us in life as disciples, we know what it means to get ready. We're showing up to the race, we're on the line. But that position that is required to get in, that position that requires discipline, that position that requires you to hold it until it's time for you to move, is the challenge for us. That's the set position. And the reason why that's an issue, because if you were really running track and you shifted out of that set position, you know what would happen? They would, they, would, they would stop the race. You would have to stop and start over. Why? Because that's a false start. You have to go back and try it again. I want to lift up a principle today to make sure that you possibly can understand this. As many of us are going through life where we're supposed to be set, we're having a bunch of false starts. If this was football, we're jumping off sides. We're, we're doing what we're not supposed to do. This set position applies to your life. Are you stable? Are you in the position that you're supposed to be in so that you can receive what's supposed to happen to you? The race can't begin. You can't go until you get to the set position in life. Amen? Everybody say, am I set? Yeah, I'm set. Let's get set. When we look into the text today... There's an issue that is present that we see right off the bat. We we can't address the problem until we know the issue. The first issue that we come to understand when we look at Matthew chapter 8 is that Jesus looks at his disciples. Not The storm ain't the problem. The storm ain't the issue. The problem is that Jesus looks at his disciples and asks them a simple question. Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? What is the problem in the text? The problem is the people's faith. Faith is their issue. Faith for a believer is where we get set. Faith is where we stand. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith without works is dead. Faith is is a central part of our DNA as believers. You can't be a Christian without having faith. You must have faith. So the disciples, the followers of Christ who have went several places with them, he has seen them heal leopards. they, They experienced him catching all the fish. They've experienced all of these things taking place. But here it is that now they're called to leave with Jesus, and the problem is they don't have faith. They're living a life that's supposed to be full of everything that they could possibly ever want, a life that has all the substance, a life that has all the understanding, that has everything that they could possibly desire, but they can't unlock it because they don't have this key called faith. Faith is deterring them from reaching their destiny. Many of us have grown up in church and we've heard this word faith spread it over and over. We've heard this word spoken into our lives. You got to have faith. You need to just believe. I want to make sure that we totally understand what faith is. One of the first things I want to show you, it should be up on the screen, is faith is a mental desire partnered with a spiritual belief that produces because of physical actions. Everybody read that with me. Say, faith is a mental desire Partner with a spiritual belief that produces because of physical actions. That is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I want to show you that in the text. Go to Hebrew chapter 11 with me. Hebrew chapter 11 verse 1. If you can't catch it, it'll be up on the screen. The screen simply tells us, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is where we get the principle that faith is a mental desire mixed with a spiritual belief. What do we mean a mental desire mixed with a spiritual belief? When you look at the first part, it says, now faith is... It's giving us the definition, the understanding of what is faith. What is faith? It's the substance. That means it's made up of these two things that we're putting together. It's like two chemicals that you mix together to make a new formula. The first chemical that's applied is the things hoped for. If things are hoped for, where does hope begin? Hope manifests in the mind. In order for you to want something or hope for something, you have to begin to think about it first. Many of us don't understand that our minds has just as much power as our mouth when we what we think is what we'll end up reaping what we say is what we will receive so if we really want to move forward with a faith mindset we have to understand that faith is a mental desire faith is what we think we want see some of us are double-minded and that's the issue with our faith One minute we're saying that God is going to do something. The next minute we're saying God ain't strong enough to get it done. If your mind is not stable, if your mind is not made up, how can you expect God to move on your behalf? You don't even have a made-up mind about what you're believing God for. One minute you want it, one minute you don't. We have to get a hold on our mental desires. What is it that you truly desire? What is it that you're truly hope for? Do you really have an understanding of what you're asking God for? Or are you just saying stuff just to be saying stuff because you don't want to appear that you're not deep enough to receive something from God? We have to get to the point where we understand faith it begins with my mind. What is it that I think? It teaches us a second principle. Not only is faith the substance of things hoped for, the first chemical, but it has this comma in it, this conjunction that says and. It connects these two things together. You can't have your mind right and not have this other part right. You have to have both of them in order for this to work out. So it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, but not just that. It's also the what? Evidence of things not seen. This is when the spiritual belief comes into place. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. Things not seen deals with your spiritual belief. We don't see God physically on a day in, a day out, but there's a spiritual belief that what God does exists. We were not there when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, but there is a spiritual belief that this, in fact, did happen. There is a spiritual component that says not only do I know what I want, but I know that God, the God that I can't see, but I can feel can do it for me. This spiritual belief. The Bible says when you mix what you want and what God, the God that you serve and what you believe God can do, when you mix those things together, things just begin to happen. Uh, Things just begin to to take place. They begin, begin to form. They begin just to mow, you can't begin to explain it. It's like a seed that's placed up under the ground. All a seed needs is soil and water. If you can get some good rich soil and a little water and pour that water on that soil, something begins to happen beneath the surface before you can even see it. See, some of us think a plant is not a plant until it forms above ground, but a plant's first produces roots before it produces anything else. Why? Because it knows before I shoot anything up, I got to make sure that I'm stable beneath. I got to make sure that everything is right on the bottom. This is faith. See, some of us don't understand when we're asking God for something, we're looking for it to manifest on the outside, but we ain't built the foundation on the inside. God can't give you what you want now if you're not ready for it. I, I'm just trying to help somebody right now. You want that husband, but you ain't did what you need to do to fix you. You want that job, but you ain't did what you needed to do to make sure you're responsible. Faith is the substance of things. hoped for what I want and the evidence of things not seen but still. That's a third principle that we have to understand because not only faith is a mental desire, not only is it a spiritual belief, but it teaches us that faith is a physical, requires physical action. James chapter 2, write it down. James chapter 2, verse 26. If you don't have it, catch it on the screen. The Bible says for, for as the body is without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. I didn't make up this. This is in the text. The Apostle James is writing, and he says, he uses an analogy. He says, the body, this this is what you walk around with. If you didn't have a spirit, you're dead. And he says, just like you couldn't live without a spirit, then therefore, uh, if your faith doesn't have works, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve is dead. I need to really help somebody because we will miss that. The body without the spirit, why is this something new for us? Because many of us think it's just our heart that keeps us going. See, the heart is just a circular system that God decides to put in motion just to keep the body moving. But what makes this body worth something is the spirit, the soul that dwells within it. If there's no spirit man on the inside of this frame, it's just an empty shell. It, It doesn't have the ability to think. It doesn't have the ability to love. Your mind is just something that's there that's functioning, off for what the spirit man is asking it to do. This is why we need to be feeding our spirit man more than our physical man. We spend more time f- feeding this physical mess that we see when we don't realize that our spiritual one is the one that keeps us strong. Our spiritual one is the that determines how long we truly live, the everlasting life. The spiritual man is what we all should be waiting, working on, but you got people like Ben that go to the gym every day, and he, he pumping weights just want to look good on the outside. Then you got some of us that will never pick up a Bible a day in our lives. Never learn who really created me. I know my mom and daddy made me, but who really created me? Who, who gave them the ability to form me? What, what is my purpose? No one creates something without a purpose. And so we have to get to a point where we understand that faith It's not only the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. In other words, we have to realize also that faith without works is dead. So it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I desire. If I'm not willing to put in the work, it means nothing. My my desire and my belief without works is, guess what? A wish. It's just a wish. I'm wishing upon a star that something would happen. Why? Because I desire it and I believe it. Many of us are walking through life wishing from God instead of expecting from God, instead of moving by faith. Anytime you see God move within the Bible, you see it over and over. Not only God but even His Son, Jesus Christ, the part of the Trinity. What do you see happen? The Bible says God was moved. He was compelled by compassion. There was something that the people did that changed God's mind or caused God to move on their behalf. We've studied Nineveh. We've talked about Nineveh. Nineveh was doomed. They were supposed to be dead, slaughtered after 40 days. But what did they do? They believed they had a desire. What was their desire? I want to live. Their belief system is if I sacrifice, if I fast, if I submit myself and be humble to God, then God will change. And what do they do? Not only do they have a desire, not only do they have a belief, but they put that thing into action. They put their sackcloth over their body. They, They rubbed ashes on themselves. No one ate. They began to put in action. They took their faith and connected it with their works. And as a result of it, what happens? God was compelled to recant. He was compelled to allow them to live. I'm trying to help you because if your faith is not set, you can't produce. If your faith is not set, the only thing that you're guaranteed to do is perish because your faith is not set. I want to help you understand something, because many of us, when we come to Christ as believers, we're like these two first individuals that were mentioned in the text. Two individuals that were originally mentioned in the text, one was a scribe. And the scribe's responsibility was to take notes, to keep records. And he came up to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, I will go wherever you go. Isn't it amazing how so many of us want to be seen? Jesus has already given the command for the disciples to enter the boat. If you're a true disciple, you just follow. You don't have to say anything. Your actions speak for themselves. But this disciple, this individual runs up and says, Jesus, I will go wherever you want me to go. He didn't have to say anything, but he tried to get some brownie points that day. He didn't expect for Jesus to look him in the face and say, you know what, hey, Foxes have holes, birds of the air has nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I want to make sure that you understand because some of us will look over that at first glance and not understand what was really happening there. Jesus was dealing with a mindset of an individual. Not only was he dealing with his mindset, but he goes to the next individual. The next individual says, Jesus, I'll go with you. But I gotta bury my daddy first. Let me bury my father and I'll follow you. Jesus looks him in the face and acts like most of us pastors should. I can just tell you the truth. Son, let the dead bury the dead. He didn't tell them what he wanted to hear. He told him the truth. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come on and get in this boat. Bible says the disciples. Followed him. I want to deal with these first two principles because these are the foundations that many of us base our faith on. Many of us base our faith on two simple principles. Uh, the first one is that of the scribe. What was, that, what was the scribe principle? He was willing to follow Jesus because of what he could get. This is why Jesus says to him, a fox has holes and the birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Some of us are only Christians because of what we get out of the deal. That's the only reason why we're saved, and this is why our faith is so shaky. Because when we don't get what we want, we're ready to leave. When things don't seem to be going right, when they don't seem to feel good to us, when this didn't go according to my plan, now Jesus. I didn't sign up for this. This is why Jesus gives them the warning. The foxes have holes. And the birds of the earth have nests. In other words, son, if you follow me, I can't promise you that you're always going to have somewhere to lay your head. You can't follow me for comfort. There's nothing comfortable about being a Christian. We are faced with challenges every day, day in and day out. We have peer pressure. We get persecuted on our jobs. Our husbands, and our wives, are issues sometimes when there's a, a divided household, there's always problems living a Christian life. Why? Because we are living in a worldly society. It would be totally different if everything was ran by Christians and everything was holy and people actually did and not just said what the Bible says. Th- this would be a totally different situation. But the truth of the matter is we're not in that type of world. If you signed up to be on Team Jesus for comfort, you signed up for the wrong reason. The thing I love about Jesus is he's not like the army. I love the army. Uh, My sister is a captain in the army. But I've heard stories how recruiters lie to young people to get them to sign up for the military. And once they get in, they realize that this is not a place that they can be all that they want to be. They realize that they can't just leave when they they want to leave. Jesus is fair. He's going to tell you the truth. Life is not going to be easy walking with me, but you got to have faith. He not only deals with that first principle, but he goes on to the second principle. What is the the second principle? He has the disciple that runs up to him and says, God, I'll, I'll serve you, I'll follow you, but let me go bury my dead my dead daddy first the issue that we have with this is that he ran to Jesus as an answer to soothe his pain Jesus was an option he was in a way out from what he was going through some of us come to Jesus seeking safety some of us Come to Jesus seeking a peace of mind. Seeking a second chance at something that we had lost. We come to Jesus seeking a feel good. Don't get me wrong. All of these things can happen. But you can't build your faith off of feeling good. See, some people join and leave churches. They join churches because they feel good. But once they get involved and somebody hurt their feelings... They leave. Why? Because they didn't feel good. It hurt them. Life is going to be full of pain. You said it right, Sister Kim. Life hurts. Jesus says to the disciple, listen, if you're going to follow me, I need you to detach yourself from your emotional issues. Let the dead bury the dead. You can't be worried about everybody else's problems, and you're supposed to be following me. Jesus' desire is to fix you, not fix all of your issues. Believe it or not, most of your issues, you can fix yourself. That that kills me uh, when people come to me and, and they say, Pastor, I'm with this guy. He ain't married me, and we've been together this long, and I got three babies by him, and what should I do? Why is you really coming and asking me this question? Do I need to take an IQ test on, on you? Can you pray with me about No, I'm not going to pray with you about this because you got an answer in the first place. Obviously, if it ain't worked out for the first three babies, what needs to happen? Something needs to change. There's a recipe that you ain't getting right. Somewhere, many of us have the ability to fix our own issues. And Jesus says, Listen, I'm not gonna wait on using you, on grooming you, on growing you, on blessing you, just because you want to sit around and hang around with your issues. If we come to Christ just for comfort, for the things that we can gain from the world and for him to make us feel good about all the things that went wrong, and our faith is built on that, we don't have a solid foundation. Because those same things are issues you're going to experience as a believer. As a believer, sometimes you ain't going to have everything that you want. As a believer, sometimes you're not going to feel the best that you could possibly be. And so when when you're set in your faith, and you're not a real track runner like Ben, <laughs> you can't even begin the race because you can't hold the position. You can't stay steadfast and ready. The Bible tells us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abiding in His Word. That, that's what the Word of God says to us. So if you can't stay set, You'll never get to go. You'll never get to where you're supposed to be. This is the issue with the disciples that we see in the text. They aren't set. The Bible says the waves, the winds, the water, ship rocking, everything happens. And they instantly begin to panic. Jesus is at the bottom of the boat. Sleep now. Catch this. They already know that Jesus has come to die for, for the, the sins of the man. A man. They know that not only has he come to die for the sins of man, but they realize that he has a certain way that he has to die. He has to be crucified. Does crucified means drowning? No. It simply is two separate types of death. But yet and still, knowing that Jesus has to be crucified, they didn't put two and two together. They sat there and they said, well, the water is coming on. The waves are coming on. We are about to perish. They began to think it, which made them believe it. And as a result of it, they did what? Act on it. We are about to perish. I call this the panic. Because things don't seem to be right, because things don't seem to go the way I want them to go. I'm going to panic and scream for somebody to help me. You want to know why they panic? Because they allow their old mentality to interfere with their new mindset. These disciples were what before? Fishermen. Fishermen knows when there's a bad storm on the water. They took their old mentality, what they seen as a bad storm, and they allowed it to affect their new mindset. This is the first mistake that many of us as Christians make. We try to bring that old mentality to that new lifestyle. The first thing when things don't seem to go right Things don't seem to be the way that they should be. We go back, and oh, I remember when this happened back then. we pulling those old experiences into this new life. Catch this. You can't apply your foolishness to righteousness. It, 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 just, won't, it just won't work. You can't apply what happened when you were in control to what happens when God is in control. Yes, if they were in control of the ship, they probably would have died. But the thing and the truth of the matter is they were not in control of the ship. Who was in control of the ship? God. If Christ can control the ship while I'm asleep, I don't have anything to worry about. He knows what will happen. This man has killed leopards. He has caused fish to jump into my net. He has caused all of these miracles to happen. Heal the blind, all of these things. They've seen it with their own eyes. And you think I'm going to panic about a little water, (laughs) getting on a boat. If anything, instead of going to Jesus and saying I'm going to perish, I would have just been like, Jesus, hey, I just want to check. Are we all right in this situation? Is there anything that I need to do? See, many of us panic in life because we forget who's with us through life. The disciples panicked because they thought they were in this by themselves. The truth of the matter is they were not Jesus was beneath the boat. Catch this. Even when Jesus is asleep, he's still working. Many of us think that That Jesus, because he's not speaking to us right now, because we're not feeling something right now, we feel that Jesus is not working or moving on our behalf. God never stops working. The truth of the matter is God is working this out for you. I love the way they title this in most Bibles. They title this particular part of the passage, a discipleship test. If it was a test, that means there had to be a teacher administrating it. Oh, this is going to get good to you. It has to get good to you because of the fact if it's a test, who is the teacher? Who has caused these winds to flourish? Who has caused this water to raise? Who has caused this ship to shake? And why did they cause it? Well, I I believe that while they thought Jesus was sleeping, Jesus was telling the winds to move. While they thought that Jesus was sleeping, Jesus made sure the ship rocked. Not because he wanted it to be the death of them, but he needed to use their circumstances, their situations to develop them. He needed to use what they were about to go through to build them. Why? Because what they were about to go to needed them to have more faith than they've ever had before. Am I saying that every storm that comes in your life, God has sent your way? No. Storms come because the enemy is trying to destroy you. But guess what? The enemy can't do it without God's approval. We learned when we looked at Job that what happens every time he wants to attack Job, he has to go and literally say, Lord, while I was thinking about doing this and getting permission. If God gives the enemy permission to do something to you, it's because he believes that you are strong enough to get through it. God is not trying to see you fail. It's nothing like going to the test with the cheat sheet. You guaranteed to pass. The only way you get scared is they change the scantron on you at the last minute. But as long as you got the answers, the key, and all the questions are lining up and everything is right, you don't have anything to worry about. This is the problem with many of us when we go into storms. We're going in it, oh, Lord, not another one. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. You ain't never seen Superman go into a fight. Oh, he might beat me this time. You got to go into this thing with a confidence, a faith that says no matter what, God will bring me through. What am I supposed to learn from this lesson? Teacher, what are you trying to teach me now? Why is it important for me to learn lessons? Because as a disciple, I have to become a teacher. If I don't learn, I can't teach. I never can teach what I have not learned. I can't tell somebody how to get over drugs if I've never been addicted to drugs. I can't tell somebody how to make it after being out of prison if I've never been in prison. I can't help somebody that has been domestically abused if I've never experienced it. If I truly want to help somebody, sometimes I have to learn it. And I should feel good that God knows that I'm strong enough to endure whatever it was that I've been through. It did not break me, but it did in fact make me. It put me in a position where I can now say that my test has developed into a testimony. Uh, I'm not worried about what happened to me in the past. I'm not worried about who put me down, who hurt me. I'm not going to let this yesterday interfere with my tomorrow. I'm going to learn the lesson that I'm supposed to learn so that I can live the life that I'm supposed to live. I want to be set in my faith. Again, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with running to Jesus because you're hurt. It's nothing wrong with running to Jesus because you're looking for a better life. But what I do want you to understand that you can't base your faith off of those things. Because when you get your good life, what happens? You say, I don't need Jesus anymore. When you're no longer hurt And you feel good about yourself, you'll say, I don't need Jesus anymore. And the problem is that you see yourself falling back into the same situation. Why? Because of the fact that what has changed is that you have left God. I want to help you understand how do we get set. This is what I want to get to a point. How do we get set? And set is a, a series of three questions that I need you to ask yourself. Everybody who knows me knows I love Acronym. So when I say the word set, I'm using it in an acronym form because it has a meaning that we should be able to apply daily in our lives. We see what happened with the disciples. The disciples, the water, everything came on and instantly they began to panic. And out of their own mouth, they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. They spoke death upon themselves their faith was now that they were going to fail rather than have a future they still had faith but their faith was for the negative outcome and not the pow- the positive outcome the bible says that life and death is held in the power of the tongue we have to learn to watch what we say and not only what we say but even so far let's fix it Let's fix what we think. I know the enemy will whisper some things and cause you to think some negative things, but you have to have the power to X that thing yeah. out right then. And I know Sister Melba, one of her best testimonies that she tells us sometimes that, that sometimes when she has a cough or an illness, she just says, Look, I'm no longer sick. She has to put a stamp that says, I am healed. By your stripes, I am healed. She begins to apply the word of God to her situation that changes the way she thinks, that is built on a spiritual belief that now is going to be affirmed by a physical action which brings about some type of transformation in my life now. We have to get to the point where we stop thinking negative. And if we can't fix it there, we need to learn how to stop speaking negative. I remember my mama used to tell me, if you ain't got nothing good to say, just don't say nothing at all. Some of us need to get this way about our own lives, learn how to keep our mouth closed. Uh, you're praying for God to fix your relationship, but you keep putting your on your relationship. You keep saying negative stuff about the person you with. Uh, you praying for God to bless you with a good job or bless this bless this job to be a better job but you keep every day you wake up I don't want to go to this job. I always got something negative to say. You can't get anything positive out of life if you're steady producing negative foolishness. We have to get to a point where we begin to speak things into existence because like even though we don't see them we know that in the spiritual realm, this has already happened. How do we know in the spiritual realm? Because God simply says, "Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose on heaven." So if I stop buy, if I start binding this broke demon and saying, I'm, "I have money in my pocket," God opened the windows of heaven. Guess what happens? It begins to get loose in heaven, and as a result of it, when le- when heaven's gates and windows open up, things just begin to flow down. I cannot get caught up in what I'm going through now that I forget where God is trying to take me to. This is just a test. And I already have the answer, and his name is Jesus. Uh, He may seem to be asleep at the bottom of my boat, but he's very well awoke. Uh, He never has to sleep. He never gets tired because time is not an issue to him. Uh, He doesn't desire to be fed. He never grows weak because he has created time and he knows the essence of strength. I know who I have with me. When you know who you have on your side, you can't lose. Uh, My daddy might get me for telling this story, but my daddy ain't always been saved. Um, My daddy... Uh has a little brother named jimmy uncle jimmy that, that's my dad's little brother uh I believe they used to call them brutus and and Popeye or something like that back in the day and and I believe that the story serves me correctly. Sometimes, Daddy, you went to Roosevelt, wasn't it? Is it Roosevelt? They went to Roosevelt. My Uncle Jimmy wasn't always tough with those hands, if the story serves me correctly. I I remember that there was a time when Uncle Jimmy might have been picked on just a little bit too much, and old Brutus, my daddy, walked up behind Uncle Jimmy, and it just seems like everybody just stopped messing with Uncle Jimmy. Uncle Jimmy looked back over his shoulder and seen that his big brother was right there with him. Jimmy didn't need courage by himself. He knew that if you messed with me, You got to mess with my brother. Some of us need to understand that life, when you mess with me, you're messing with my Savior. When you mess with me, you're messing with my provider. You're messing with my redeemer, my deliverer. You're messing with everything that calls me to be who I am. Stop looking at life as if you're living by yourself. Because when you accept Jesus, you accept faith. You accept the ability to be set, to know that everything is going to be all right. So let's deal with the set principle. What does it mean to be set? Because we don't want to live life in a a mindset that says, I'm going to perish. I'm going to lose. I'm going to be broke. I'm never going to get married. I'm always going to be unhappy. We don't want that no more, right? Uh, That stuff is all out the window. How do we get where God is wanting us to be? How do we get set? The first thing that we need to ask ourselves, am I stable? That's what the S represents in the SAT principle. Am I stable? As a believer dealing with faith, you need stability. And stability comes through knowing the word of God. That, that's what makes us stable as believers. This is why they begin to panic on the ship. This is why things just seem to not go right. Only thing they knew about ships was what they knew as fishermen. Most of them had never been off into the deep like they are now. So when things were not working out for them, They begin to panic because of what they had experienced before. Listen, when you take a new life, you got to learn a new lesson. And we didn't have the word of God in our old life. And that's why things were not working out. We didn't have the manual to tell us how to piece this thing together. So if you're going to live this Christian lifestyle, what it causes you to do is learn the lesson that, that is required for you to live. You can't claim to be a Christian and you don't know nothing about Christ. You have to learn the word of God. So when we deal with the aspect, am I stable, do I know what I think I know? Do, am I able to be stable enough to share the word of God? Not do you have to know everything about the Bible, but if somebody could come up to you and tell you that, oh, Jesus can't be the Messiah because of the fact that uh, his name began with J, and in the Hebrew, they didn't have J. Uh, If that's enough to shake your faith, you don't know what you need to know. If that's enough to make you question who God is in your life, then you're not stable. You have not experienced enough of God. You have not seen enough of God. You have not prayed enough to God. You have not fasted enough where you know What you know, that is nothing nobody can tell me, even if I don't have the answer to make me doubt who God is. Why? Because I've experienced him day in and day out. And for you to call my God fake, you calling me fake because I know what I know. I know when God spoke to me. I know when God helped me out of a situation I know when God provided a way out of nowhere. I know who I prayed to. I didn't pray to Buddha. I didn't pray to no Confucius or anybody else. I prayed and in Jesus' name, I sealed it with a staff. And as, as a result of it, God produced and moved on my behalf. The first thing that you have to realize, if I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight, I have to be stable. I have to know what I stand on. I stand On the word of God. This is what puts us above the rest. God's word is what provides stability in our life. If you want your faith to grow, allow your knowledge to grow. Study more. Grow more. When you begin to hear the voice of God because you've learned his voice, you've seen his word, you begin to activate it. You unleash God within your life. Now you can truly experience Who God is. You can see God in every motion. This is the thing. Listen, uh, you can go through a maze and get trapped over and over. But if you're able to get a bird's eye view of that maze, you can find the way out before you even go in that maze. This is our bird's eye view. There's nothing you can experience, nothing you can go through that has not already been written. It may have been repackaged, it may got some new threads, it may look a little different, but it's still the same thing. If you want to be sure that the storm does not bother you, get stable. If you're stable, you have nothing to worry about. The reason that the disciples panic, because they were not stable. They were worried, this water is splashing, everything is rocking, it doesn't seem right. If they were stable, it wouldn't have been concerned. Who was stable on the ship? Christ. How was he stable? He was at the bottom of the boat and he appeared to be sleeping. No matter what was happening on the outside, on the inside, he was all right. Catch that. No matter what happens to you on your outside, don't allow it to affect your inside. Don't allow it to affect your mind. Don't allow it to affect your heart. And show sure enough, don't allow it to affect your spirit. Keep the inside right. The enemy has reign and rules or try to attack the outside. Catch. Try to attack. Try to attack. It's okay. Uh, it's like a scar. If you ever get a good cut on your arm or your hand or somewhere and you, and, you, and you allow it to heal, you'll notice that the tissue that heals it is a lot tougher than everything else around it. As Christians, we're going to have some scars, but they're going to be tougher than everything else around it because we have to heal in a way that shows we don't want to hurt again. We don't want to be experienced the same thing again. There's a lesson to learn. I only had to learn once that an iron is hot. I didn't have to learn that. That twice. That was a lesson that I only had to learn once. I I remember when my dad, my mom, we had a nail that was sticking out the wall in one of our apartments, and they was like, Chris, quit running through that house. You're going to cut yourself on that nail. And I don't know why my dad, being the maintenance man, didn't just knock the nail out, but he just left the nail there. And I remember to this day, I still have a little scar on my nose from that nail. And guess what? I don't run through the house no more, and I don't have no nails sticking out. But I know I don't want to hurt myself anymore. There's life lessons that have caused me to become stable. God has given us life lessons that will cause you to be stable. Amen. There's a second principle. The second principle I need to ask you, and I need you to ask yourself, not only am, am I stable, but I need you to look at yourself in your personal time when you get home in the mirror on your way and simply say, will I endure? Will I endure? Faith is not only built on your stability, but it's also built on your endurance. These disciples, the Bible says, that the water, the storm, and everything began to happen. And not only did they panic, but as a, a result of their panicking, they went ahead and threw in the towel and said, save us because we're about to perish. They didn't even want to ride the storm out. They simply came to Jesus and said, life is over. We, we're about to die. It's, a, it's, a, it's finished. This is the big one. It's not no tomorrow. This is everything that came out of their mouth. Many of us fail in our walk with Christ, walking by faith and not by sight, because we don't have the ability to endure. We don't have the ability to stand the test of time. See, there's different types of races. There's a 100-meter dash. A 100-meter dash is usually, if I'm not mistaken, Minister Deborah, it's just one person, correct? And you get on that block and you run against some other people and you run. You don't have to pass the baton. You don't have to do anything. You just you just do that good sprint and, and you're good to go. That that race is over. If you win, you win. You lose, you lose. It's done. But there's different other type of races. There's relays that, that have to make sure that you pass the, the baton. There's the 400. And I believe, or the 4 by 4 which means literally you have to, one person has to run around one whole time to give it to somebody else so they can run around the whole time. And and I love these marathons, those are some of the best races that you could possibly look at, these marathons, because you can't just be a fast runner and win. These marathons require you to pace yourself. They require you to have a plan. I've seen people be dead last and end up in first place because of the fact they knew how to pace themselves. See, many of us are looking at our lives as Christians, and we're thinking that we're going to sprint. Got you going to fix it now. But we don't realize that this thing is a marathon. We need to pace ourselves. Uh, People train for marathon years in advance because they know that it's not about your speed, your agility, but it's about your endurance. Can you really endure what you're about to have to go through? Can you really endure the different terrains, everything that you're going to have to experience? As a believer, your endurance is key. You cannot just be set And not be willing to endure. Catch this. Because set keeps you stable. It means that as long as I'm standing on this, I'm okay. I don't have to worry about anything. But set doesn't stop the storms from coming. Set doesn't stop. Stability doesn't stop the storms from coming. So if I'm stable and it's still a storm, guess what I have to do? Endure. I have to be willing to stand here no matter what happens and endure it i have to stay in this spot and allow the winds the water everything that's coming my way to attack me but guess what i have to yet and still endure it why because in order to get to the outcome of this i have to stay right here in this this is where many of us fail short in our faith is we don't mind being set on the word of god but when it requires us to endure pain and suffering, we like, no, nah, Jesus, I'm checking out. I'm good. I'll see you next time, Lord. Call me after this one is over. We're checking out on our marriages too fast. We're checking out on our jobs too fast. We're checking out on our churches way too fast. We're just checking out because of what? It doesn't feel good to me. Endurance means I don't care how it feels, what I have to go through. I'm not moving from this position until God tells me to move. That's faith and believing that I can stand here in the middle of this tornado, see a tornado whirling around me, and be able to understand that I can stay here because it's not going to cause enough death to me to cause me to perish. Catch this. It might be pain. I might be shook. I may be struck, but it's not going to cause me to perish. This storm will not be the end of me. The problem with most of us is every time we look at a storm, we think it's the finish. We think it's the end of us. We think there is no tomorrow. We think there is no second chance. And as a result of it, what happens? We quit. We run. We don't have the endurance to stay in the race. As a disciple, not only do you have to be rooted in the word of God, but you have to be strong enough to know that everything is not going to go your way. But everything has a purpose. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. See, when you're in the midst of those type of situations, that's why you got to know the word so you can pull the word. If you don't know the word, you can't pull the word. Because the word is, only gonna, is the only thing that's going to make your situation sane. It's the only thing that's going to keep you sane in the midst of what you're going through. Because any normal human being would say, why do I have to put up with this? Why do I have to go through this? But God's word is going to affirm why you not only have to go through it, but also what I'm going to give you because of it. So we have to learn that we need stability and we need endurance. Amen? Amen. Last question I need you to ask yourself. Last question is, do I trust? This is, this is most definitely the most important one that you need to have above all because you can have stability, you can have endurance, but if you don't trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do in your life, you will speak death where God is trying to produce life. When we deal with the principle of set, we have to know without a shadow of a doubt that we trust God's plan for our lives. It's One of the most important things that we have to do, catch this, the disciples were chosen to be disciples. God prophesied it in their lives uh, last week when we looked at them. And what did he prophesy? That they were going to transform from being fishers of men? I mean, from being fishermen to what? Fishers of men. That was a prophecy that already happened. If God has issued that prophecy over my life that I'm going to be a fisher of men, then I have not yet became a fisher of men. How can I die now? That would mean that you're a liar. That, that you didn't say what I thought you said. That things, uh, you, what you said was not true. That things are not working out how you promised me. That everything I left behind uh, was for nothing. Because of the fact that what you told me I was going to be, I had not yet become, and this situation is going to be the death of me. God can do anything but lie. I want you to catch you. I want you you to catch this. Catch this. If you are in a situation and you have not yet reached the outcome that God has already spoken to you, and you believe that you're going to die, Right now, it's not because God wants you to die, because God has left you to die, or because you're you're going to end up dying. It's simply because of the fact that you are more afraid of what's in front of you than you have faith in what God has already promised you. Uh, There's not a situation in your life that can detour you from being who God has called you to be. There's not a situation in your life that can interrupt what God has already spoken that you will be. It cannot and will not happen unless what? You allow it to. I don't care what your financial situation is, I I, I don't care what your boss said, I, I don't care what happens. If if God has said that you're going to end up being a supervisor and your boss has said and gave you bad evaluations since you've been there, then all you have to do is stop worrying about what the boss is saying and focus on what God is saying. God, what do I need to do to get to where you want me to be? God overrules and trumps everything. I, I don't care what laws pass and what laws don't. Yes, I want to stay aware, but I know that at the end of the day, God's got me. That's what we have to trust in the midst of the storm is no matter what, that God has me. That God is the one that's able to control and make sure that everything is functioning and flowing in my life. If I cannot trust God, then I can't walk by faith. Faith requires you to be stable. Faith requires you to endure. Faith requires you to trust. I want to leave you with one last principle as we close on today. If you aren't set in faith, you're set up to fail. That's the last thing that I have to share with you today. If you're not set in faith, you're set up to fail. Jesus never said that the storms were the issues in the disciples' life. He looked at the disciples and said, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? It was because of the fact that they were not set in faith. They were not stable. They didn't have endurance. And they didn't trust. That they felt like they were going to perish. If you want to make sure that your life is not a failure, if you want to make sure that you stop repeating the same cycles over and over then it's time to get set it's time to stop playing hopscotch with the Bible picking what you want to land on and what you don't want to land on it's time to stop playing peekaboo with church now you see me Now you don't. If you're real about this, it's time to sign up for the race. It's time to get yourself in a position where you know that you're ready because God has chosen you above so many others. And because of the fact that God has chosen you, you are placing yourself in a place where you are set to endure whatever it is that God has for you. That you're stable in his word. and That you're walking through life ready to face whatever because you trust the God who has created you, the God who has redeemed you, and the God who has already prophesied to you what tomorrow holds. But if you're not set in your faith, then you are set up to fail.